0: Let's think about together in the book of Job where God shows up and be challenged to think about that as we prepare for um, uh, the coming year and and from his word. As I uh, was preparing this week for um, 20 and 21, I was thinking about how things can be unfair. And things can be unfair in a lot of ways, but I want to think this morning... Um, about one unfairness that was a little bit highlighted to us this past week as the Dodgers won the World Series. Say yes if you're happy. Yeah, there you go. Um, The Dodgers won the World Series. They have a guy on their team called Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is a great player. He didn't end up winning the MVP of the World Series, but he was close. He made some great plays. He had some very timely hits. Mookie Betts is also one of the highest paid players in all of Major League Baseball. I think his contract, it's somewhere in the like, I think it's $300 million. He makes well over, I think it's over 15 or almost 20 million a year, at least, plus incentives for playing baseball. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's a little unfair. He plays baseball. He plays something that many of our kids play, that many of you played as a kid, but he's so good at it, a game, that he gets paid money in what I would consider, and use the adjective, uh, ungodly way. Right, it's incredible how much that he gets paid simply because he can hit and catch and throw a ball the way that he does. If we look at athletes' salaries, we just—it doesn't seem fair sometimes, because you're seven feet tall and you were born that way. Had nothing to do with that. All of a sudden, you can become a professional base or a basketball player and make millions and millions of dollars a year because you have the natural gift to be able to hit a golf ball you can make millions and millions of dollars a year because you have the natural gift of playing football or throwing a football or catching a football you can make millions and millions of dollars a year now i'm not knocking athletes i know how hard it is i was an athlete myself i worked hard at it at the time i have a son i have a daughter who who are athletes they work really hard at what they do I'm not knocking it but out of something that many of us consider play You make millions and millions of dollars. Doesn't seem fair. Because how many of you work hard? Do you work hard? You try hard? What's the possibility of you making $10 million a year? Mark, this? Yeah, right. We all know Mark. It's not like this, it's not happening. None of us is going to make $10 million a year no matter how hard we work because our giftedness and our abilities are in spaces that for whatever reason don't get that sort of compensation. Why is that fair? Now, if we're going to talk about inequity, let's think about inequity in God's word. That's what we're highlighting this morning, actually, as we hear from Job's friends and as we hear from Job. We hear about inequity in the world, but not when it comes to a salary, but when it comes to easy or hard life based on living in obedience to God's word, or rejecting God's word. We're going to see the unfairness as they talk about it this morning and then wonder together about how that impacts our life and our understanding of the suffering that we face. As we do that, let's pray for God's blessing and presence during our time that we might learn what he has for us to learn today. Father, equip us through the Holy Spirit to learn, to hear, and be transformed by the power of your word. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that um, I disappear, that um, even we disappear, and we instead engage through your power this morning, that we hear what you want us to hear because you're present, you're speaking, and you're moving in us. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that we can then go from this place equipped to live into a difficult world into difficult challenges. We think especially this week of the challenge that we face as a country and the opportunity that we face as a country in our elections, Lord. Equip us, Lord, in Jesus' name to seek your wisdom, to live into obedience to you. And we trust, Lord, in the complexity of this year's election and all the dialogue that surrounds us. And Lord, may we always trust that your will be done. You are bigger than this. You always have been. What we consider great and enormous and too much, you can handle with the movement of your hand and with a breath from your mouth because of the power of who you are. We trust, Lord, for you to take care of this city, of this region, of this state, of this country. We trust, Lord, in your future, a future that is good, pleasing, perfect. Lord, your will that it may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or that's something that you and you alone can do. We ask that you do it in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. In your Bibles, Job chapter 21, we read there about Zophar. Then Zophar the Namathite replied, my troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear hear a rebuke that dishonors me and my understanding inspires me to reply. Surely you know how it has been from of old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief, the joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though the pride of the godless person reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. There's a nice little image for you, huh? Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Like a dream, he flies away, no more to be found, banished like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look on him no more. His children must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. The youthful vigor that fills his bones will lie with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and lets it linger in his mouth. Yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. It will become the venom of serpents within him. He will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach, stomach vomit them up. He will suck the poison of serpents. The fangs of an adder will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. that he toiled. What he toiled for, he must give back uneaten. He will not enjoy the profit from his trading. For he has oppressed the poor and left them destitute. He has seized houses he did not build. Surely he will have no respite from his craving. He cannot save himself by his treasure. Nothing is left for him to devour. His prosperity will not endure. In the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of misery will come upon him. When he has filled his belly, God will vent his burning anger against him and rain down his blows on him. Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back, the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will come over him. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. Flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate. God allots the wicked the heritage appointed for them by God. As we read this chapter, I don't know about you, but it's true, right? Because here's really what Zophar is saying. He's saying a life lived in disobedience to God, when it ends, ends up in punishment, right? Right? It's a futile life that has been lived and ultimately the end of that life means the end of anything of value, the end of anything of worth, right? We would all agree with that, right? How many of you would say a life lived today evilly has consequence for eternity? That's not good, right? We're all gonna agree with that. So Zophar is speaking truth. But it's similar to the rest of Job where we see it over and over again with his friends and their speeches the application of this particular truth of Zophar is in its problem, it's directed towards Job, right? Because Job is saying, I have lived a faithful life and because I have lived a faithful life, that's not me. I'm not that evil person whose life at the end will be judged unworthy. I'm a person who followed God. Look back at Job 1 and 2. Job followed God, followed God, great he gave God great pleasure. In fact, when when uh, the Satan goes into God's presence, it, God says he gives him pleasure to see Job. He even makes sacrifices for his own children. That's not Job. So then, because we're smart people, who says they're a smart person? I'm a smart person. You gotta wonder why this is there. Why is this here then? Because we've already heard it like five or six times. One of the challenges of preaching this series is I have to find a different way to say the same thing over and over again because that's what the book of Job is. Why do we have this yet again? Because it reminds us that that can be the sort of life that we live. Let's look really quickly at verse six again. Let me turn on my Bible. I lost the wind, got my Bible here. Verse 6 says this, Though the pride of the godless person, person reaches the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, Where is he? So what sort of person is it that gets judged here? What does it say? Person of pride. Anybody here got an issue with pride? Everyone put your hand up, otherwise you're being prideful people. It's all lost, right? I am a card-carrying member of that club, of the arrogant club, of the I-can-take-care-of-myself club, of the person who believes that through his own work, his own toil, his own ability, his own giftedness can figure things out and be successful. And for us to be reminded in God's word that being a prideful, being an, iner- being an arrogant, or even more importantly, being an independent person as opposed to a person who is dependent on God has its dangers, and here, even in that sentence, is compared with the same level of death as dung. Poop, folks. It's worth poop. That's its value. That's what that life is like. And yet, we can get consumed by it. It can be. And I I would hazard a guess to say that all of us have had moments, hours, days, even weeks or months or even years of being consumed with our own pride. So in this big scheme of the text of scripture, we are inspired by this passage to be reminded of the danger of acting independently before God instead of walking in dependence before him. But we gotta get back into the book of Job. It's a misapplication of that truth for Job because Job is a godly man. So Job responds. Here's what he says in verses one through 21. Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. Is my complaint directed to a human being? Why should I not be impatient, look at me, and be appalled, clap your hand over your mouth? When I think about this, I am terrified, trembling, seizes my body. Why do the wicked live on, growing old, increasing in power, They see their children establish around them their offspring before their eyes their homes are safe and free from fear The rod of God is not on them Their bulls never fail to breed their cows calve and do not miscarry They send forth their children as a flock their little ones dance about They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre they make merry to the sound of the pipe They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Yet how often is the lamp of the wicked snuffed out? How often does calamity come upon them, the fate God allots in his anger? How often are they like straw before the wind, like chaff swept away by by a gale? It is said, God stores up the punishment of the wicked for their children. Let them repay the wicked so that they themselves will experience it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care about the families they leave behind when their allotted months come to an end? So here Job is struggling. He's struggling because although what Zophar said is true, that a life lived in evil is ultimately judged by God and that judgment is filled with pain and suffering for the person who has lived an evil life, Job is saying, hold on here though. We're not there yet. I'm in this life. And in this life, I've lost my kids They're gone. I've lost my flocks. I've lost my business. I've lost my well-being. It's all gone. And I'm looking at people around me who say these words, who reject God with those sorts of words, who say things like, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? They reject God. And they get calves all over the place with no miscarriages in their flocks. Their business flourishes. They got kids and grandkids dancing around them. Why is that fair? Why is that allowed? Why can't I? I live my life in relationship with God. And friends, maybe you've asked that sometimes. Maybe you've wondered why someone who seems to be living in rejection of God doesn't get the same diagnosis you do or doesn't get the same diagnosis as a friend or a loved one a death diagnosis maybe you sit and you think about how hard you work and how hard you toil and something comes up and it becomes hard and difficult and it doesn't work out and somebody who seems to be lazy and doesn't do the sort of hard work and is not trying to live into the integrity that you're living into their business flourishes and they make millions why is that fair? Or maybe you see the people out there who don't want to have children getting plag- pregnant in a moment and caring for them, you know, like a, uh, just something else on their shelf, and you've been trying to have a kid forever. It just hasn't happened. How is that fair? That's Job's struggle. He's sitting there saying, God, Please, judge the wicked. Right at the end of that passage, what's he say? He says, let their own eyes see their destruction. He wants them to experience their own pain. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty for what do they care about the families that leave behind? He wants them to face the consequence that he's been facing. And friends, I don't know about you, but there are times, there are moments when I feel that way. I look at some of the things in this world and it just doesn't seem equitable. It seems like God blesses or God allows at least evil to be blessed. He allows groups to flourish and grow and, and it just seems like they're in rejection of him. He allows even a country sometimes to walk away from him and no longer have faith and trust in him. Why does God allow that to happen? just doesn't seem like the scales are equal, right? Because as Zophar said, ultimately we know God shows up in eternity. And I don't know about you, but eternity sounds pretty good, right? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds good to be in God's eternal presence forever. We know that's where Christian, the Christian life, that's where we know that pays off, right? That's where it gets held up here. But until then, it seems like it's held this way. So we look at those and we go, the scales right now, they're not equal. Someday they will be, but right now they're not. Job is longing for those scales to be equal in this life. And unfortunately, because of his difficulty with it, he doesn't come up with hope. We're going to see that. Let's actually continue to read. We're going to see what Job's response is. He doesn't come to a place of hope. Verse twenty-two says this: Can anyone teach knowledge to God? Since He judges even the highest, one person dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease, well nourished in body, bones rich with marrow. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. Side by side, they lie in dust, and worms cover them both. I know full well what you are thinking, the schemes by which you would wrong me. You say, "Where now is the house of the great? The tents where the wicked live?" Have you ever questioned those who travel? Have you paid no regard to their accounts that the wicked are spared from the day of calamity, that they are delivered from the day of wrath? Who denounces their conduct to their face? Who repays them for what they have done? They are carried to the grave and is kept over their tombs. The soil in the valley is sweet to them. Every one follows after them and a countless throng goes before them. So how can you console me with your nonsense? Nothing is left of your answers but falsehood he doesn't come to a place of hope here and that's hard right because we want job to be able to say god has equaled the scales or god will equal the scales but he's in the moment of asking the question when when is that gonna when is that gonna be balanced when is it gonna be something where i am grateful to have followed god because i can see the blessing in and around me because we don't see it here Well, where will we find it Turning your Bibles with me. We're going to jump there. Romans chapter 13, if you want to turn there. I encourage you to do that. We're going to hear something that in his encouragement would be an encouragement for Job. I think it is an encouragement to, his, to him now, but it's also an encouragement to us. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up by this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. Day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension, jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Hear that again. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. When this happens, the day is almost here when the suffering of this world is at an end and the joy and the life of eternity comes, not because of who we are, not because of what we're capable of, because in our pride, we're still in Zophar's speech, right? We're still living into that evil worth poop, right? That's what we are. But with Jesus, the night is nearly over when he comes, gives us reward, comes, takes us to himself, comes, bears us into God's presence for all eternity where the scales are flipped and suddenly we experience the love, joy, peace, patience, mercy, love and grace of God for all eternity. That's the gift that is to come. But here's the beautiful part, right? Here's the beautiful part. Jesus not only gave himself so that we might have that gift of the scales being reversed, of justice being done that, to the, those who are righteous, but he also gave us this gift. It's while we're going through the difficulty of this life that he is with us, amen? We know that, that's a gift, right? That's a, that's a blessing. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the very end of the age. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus gi- excuse me, gives us that promise. He is with us. But that's still not enough because we have one more blessing to come. And that's this, that in the suffering that we do experience in this world, while the scales are still out of whack, that the stuff that we are suffering ourselves still doesn't hold a candle to the suffering that Christ himself felt. So the one who is present with us in our sufferings knows suffering way better than we do anyway. He is the one who is present present with us, and can comfort us in our sufferings because all suffering was given to him. He's the only one of all humanity who can say the words in truth, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's the only one who has been forsaken of God. And he did that for our sake. We've never been forsaken by God, nor will we be forsaken by God until the next stage of reality comes. That is something that God has promised to us in Jesus, the suffering servant who knows our suffering better than we do. So for Job, Job's in this place going, when will the scales be equaled? And God is patient. And ultimately God answers him and we get that gift. The gift of exactly what Job was looking for. And I wonder, I wonder right now, if Job is in God's presence and he is saying, oh, I should have been patient because you gave the answer to the longing of my heart. I wanted justice, you gave justice. I wanted your answer, you gave your answer. I wanted your love, you gave your love. That's a gift that God gives to Job. But he also gives it to us. And he gives it to us for now. For right now. Because we experience suffering. We experience pain. We experience challenge. We experience car accidents. And a husband is in the hospital. We experience different treatments along the way. We experience different challenges in our lives. We experience a culture that seems to be tearing apart at the seams. But in that, God is present. Not only is he present with us, but he's presence, having known suffering beyond what we can ever imagine. That's the gift of Jesus. And may that encourage us to live into his presence, to his encouragement every single day. Let's pray together. Thank you, O Father, that someday the scales will be reversed, that the pleasures of this life will mean nothing, and the pleasures of eternity will be your glory. Lord, we long for more of your glory in our life now that we might experience it even more for all eternity. We long for your presence now in our difficulty that you strengthen us and encourage us, encourage us, uh, encourage us with eyes towards what is ahead. We thank you, O Father, that you suffered for our sake and that no suffering we experience in this life is greater than what you know, and yet you are present with us in our difficulty, reminding us over and over and over again. You are our strength. You are our love. You are our power, something that you and you alone can do. We ask that you equip us to that power, to that love today. In Jesus' name, amen.